For years now, people have laughed at Bryson DeChambeau. They've made fun of his antics, of his practice routines, and his outside-the-box thinking. There were the single-length irons, the side-saddle putting, the one-plane swing, and putting with the pin in. But DeChambeau's latest experiment, like the others, has delivered massive gains, this time in both his weight and his distance off the tee. The experiment delivered a ton of top results, and now a US Open trophy, his first major championship. So it's time to figure out, who is Bryson DeChambeau anyway? And what can he tell us about his golf revolution? We sat down with him to find out. I'm Dylan DeChair, and this is The Drop Zone. First, this episode of The Drop Zone is brought to you by Cobra Puma Golf. The most compelling club of the year is a pretty easy call, right? It's the Speed Zone Driver. I've got one in the bag myself, and I've got to tell you, I have no plans to get rid of it anytime soon. I swear by it, I've been spreading the word, and if you want to add the Cobra Speed Zone Driver to your bag, head to cobragolf.com today. That's cobragolf.com. Good news, folks. This conversation with Bryson just kept going and going, which means we're actually going to split this one into two parts. The first episode drops today, Tuesday, and we dive into Bryson's origins, what he was like as a kid, his big transformation, what it's like to face criticism, and a whole bunch more. In the second episode, we dive into the complete week at Wingfoot, what it's like to get that first major championship, and then a ton about what's next for Bryson, what his transformation means to the game, what other players have been saying, and, uh, and much more. And that'll come out first thing tomorrow morning, Wednesday. So it's a double drop zone this week. Oh, and in this episode, you're also going to hear a couple shout-outs from our instruction editor, Luke Curtinine, who uh, was listening in on the conversation and literally couldn't help himself. So he's the one with the British accent. All right, finally, now to Bryson. I'm here with Bryson DeChambeau, our most recent major champion uh, and our newest guest on the Drop Zone. Bryson, congratulations and uh, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's an honor to be on here. It's uh, been a crazy couple uh, days, but uh, uh, you guys have always been nice to me, so love coming on. Oh, we appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I got to spend actually quite a bit of time with you this week. It's funny the way things work with you know no fans. There's only some media and obviously volunteers on site. The whole feeling of this must be you know a little bit different. Oh, no doubt. I think one of the craziest things was on number nine when. Uh, Matthew Wolf and I both made our putts for Eagle and normally the crowds would have gone insane and there was just you know nothing nothing too crazy there so that was definitely interesting uh, yeah I was standing right behind you for that I was I was like I could see the ball it looked like it was going towards the pin and he's got the speed figured out perfectly look at this how about wow. that yeah. driver wedge Eagle on the par five impressive then it just kind of went in and there was no reaction you didn't give a reaction really <laughs> nope just went hey, thank you appreciate it walk and take it out of the hole trying to be as stoic as possible because you know from, from from my angle i was trying to make I, I tried to i don't know it's tough to explain it's one of those things where i just tried to be as confident as possible and make everybody feel that way around me and go wow he's, he's not let it go of anything um and that was my whole goal the whole day especially going in the back nine. Uh, but again, usually when there's crowds, you get a more amped and, and go crazy for some putts and shots. But 
it was funny how I was able to just stay in the moment no matter what and just act like it was the almost like the U.S. Amateur where I just dominated in the U.S. Amateur. I felt like pedal to the metal. I'm just going to keep going and try and, you know, do my best to not give anything out. I first want to just rewind to like the origins of Bryson DeChambeau because obviously we've known a lot about you for a while. The golf world has too. But now that you're a major champ, there's this different status that you get like in the sports world. Uh, so people are already getting introduced to you. And I kind of want you to take us back. Like, what were you like as a kid? What What was your childhood like? Tell us, you know, a little bit about where you're from and, and just who Bryson was growing up. Well, I'll tell you that my parents raised me right. I think they raised me right. I feel like they did. Um, they always told me to be respectful, treat others the way you want to be treated. I uh, do my best to do that. Respect the game as much as possible. But my dad always taught me to be a competitor. No matter what, try and step on people's throats in the nicest way possible. Obviously, that's just an analogy. But um, yeah, don't give anything. Don't don't let anything get in your way. Uh, and ever since I was shoot nine years old, playing in my first junior golf tournament, Visalia Country Club. It was a small little junior tournament. Uh, There's this kid I'll never forget that was supposed to win. Um, I forgot his name, but I, I know that he was supposed to win every single year. He had won from like age six all the way up to nine. And I came in as my first tournament ever, right? Nobody knew about me. I go play and I shoot even par for – obviously the tees were up and everything, but I shoot even par. And we, I beat the field by quite a bit, but this kid also shot even par. And they thought that I had cheated. They are like, there's no way he's playing his first tournament and he shoots even par. So I went into a playoff, and, and I wound up beating him in the, in the first hole. I was super nervous as well, but I had really good success early on uh, in winning tournaments and being under pressure and being able to, to execute. And that's something my dad always uh, instilled in me. He said, no matter how intense the situation gets, just stay focused and kill it. Just try and go out there and kill it and do your absolute best. I always felt like from a young age I had this ability to just – dominate the situation when the times got tough and you know that was something that my dad saw in me and he he helped develop uh, from a very early age you know my dad put me into the fire right away and put me under intense pressure situations and tournaments where you know I was I was good you know, my dad always taught me the, the fundamentals and everything and you know I always just wanted to win no matter what I was super competitive my brother even when I was growing up, I'd play hockey with him while he was, you know, 14, 15, 16. I was still trying to play with his friends. I'd just get pushed over, scraped on the ground, wouldn't care. I'd just get right back up and, and keep going. I'd get pissed off and mad at them and push them around. Um, always just a competitor and grinder, no matter what, never gave up. I think that suited me really well for these junior golf tournaments that I first played in, where, you know, I felt like I was behind in a couple of them. Like, nope, I got to go win. I got to win. I got to do it. And I'll be super nervous. I hated the feeling of nerves and uneasy and just super uncomfortable. Uh, I was able to conquer those at a very young age. And that lended me well for, for the future. And as time went on, I wasn't the best. I mean, I played other sports. I did other things. It wasn't really my main focus till around 15, 16. So once it got to around 15, 16, uh, there was a bunch of kids that were way better than me. You know, that the Paul Smith and Patrick Grimes that were unbelievable back in the day. And they still are even today. They're great golfers, no, no doubt about it. Um, they are what inspired me to want to get better because they were beating my butt all the time. They'd kick 
kick me out of the door and um, have nothing to do with me. And so I just tried to figure out ways to have a little advantage over them. And so I started thinking back when uh, Mike was teaching me and, and working with me on the golfing machine, he threw it to me at 15. He was like, if you want to be a good ball striker, here you go. He threw this book to me. I said, read through it, see what you like. And I went through it. I started going crazy about it. I'm like, man, you can actually apply science to golf. I thought that was amazing. And I started finding little distinct advantages that allowed me to be more repeatable with a golf swing. Um, you know, like a flat left wrist. That was one of the most important things in the, in the golf machine. It is one of the most important things. A steady head, uh, staying, you know, on one axis, right? For me, it was always staying on my left side. That's what I did growing up, and it suited me really well. It was very, very good for uh, my age, and you know, I'd still hit it everywhere every once in a while. But for the most part, I was one of the best iron players in, in junior golf, and I became one of the best drivers in junior, junior golf very quickly. So all of a sudden, all these kids that were beating me at age 15, 16, uh, I started to, to to have some success. I won the California State Junior at Fort Washington, crazy enough, in Fresno. Um, and there was just times where I felt like I started to go against the grain because of all these different weird ideas that, that I'd come up with and Mike and I had come up with. And people didn't like that. They didn't like that or appreciate that. They were, I was going against the grain, changing the status quo about like how to swing a golf club, how to execute a shot, how to play. And for me, I was okay with it because I thought there was an advantage. I thought that in the end, if I kept practicing enough, I'd figure out something that would give me an advantage. And ever since then, it's always been about finding advantages in the game of golf. Um, you know, people even say today with the distance that I've gained and everything like that, I think I found a pretty dang good advantage. And I'm going to keep using it to the best of my ability uh, till the end of time. I love it. I was, I was going to say, I'm not sure I even need to ask any more questions. It just kind of like get you started and then there you go. Um, all right, wait, tell me... Tell me about like young athlete Bryson, because I'm curious about this. You played high school volleyball, right? What other sports did you play? And do you think that those sports helped you at all ultimately in becoming a good athlete and a good golfer? No doubt they did. I mean, that was one of the things my dad always wanted to instill in me was a uh, versatility in sports, just to have good feeling and understanding of how to control and utilize my body. So when I got to the golf course, I was swinging a golf club, I could adapt uh, to the golf course at hand really easily or the golf swing I was trying to make that at that day and point in time. I played, let's see, seventh grade. Well, I learned volleyball when I was in fifth grade, loved it. Uh, got to seventh grade. I went, it was golf, basketball, volleyball. Those are the sports I, I, I played in seventh grade. Eighth grade, I went golf, soccer, volleyball. And then high school, volleyball and golf were the same I think season so I couldn't play volleyball anymore and that was super disappointing because I loved it it kept me you know, really fit and agile and I felt like I could just float off the ground use a lot of ground reaction force with my legs um, but on uh, my senior year after I committed to SMU and I never told Josh Gregory this until I got there and I was still healthy and and okay I didn't hurt myself but I, I, I played volleyball without Coach Gregory now and <laughs> going to SMU. I'd already committed. He'd already given me a full ride. I didn't tell him about it. I just went out and played volleyball the same uh, season as, as golf. And so he didn't really like that <laughs> when I got there. He uh, was like, why didn't you tell me? I mean, I'd have been okay with it. You just had to tell me. And so 
Yeah, he was a little scared at first, but everything worked. So you were playing two sports in one season? You could make that work? I, I did. So this is a schedule. Again, this is me being, you know, over the top and uh, super dedicated. I would finish school at like 2.40 p.m. At 3 p.m., we'd start volleyball practice. I'd have to change and get ready all the way till 5 o'clock, and we were done. And right from there, I had my golf clothes with me and my golf clubs in the back of my car. And I'd drive straight to the golf course and practice till dark. Uh, this was about, you know, at that time, it's starting to get dark later into the season. Um, oh, no, no, it was spring. It was spring. So it started to get lighter. So it was already dark. So by the time I got to 5 o'clock at the beginning of the season, it was almost dark already. I only had 30 minutes to practice. So I'd go straight out there, practice for 30, 40 minutes. There'd be a little light at Belmont uh, Country Club on the range. And, and i just hit uh, in the dark. And I just kept practicing. And the coach was okay with it because he knew that I'd, I'd be fine with that. On Saturdays and Sundays, I'd be practicing, playing golf. I, you know, I was obviously committed to SMU, no problems with it. And so I did it. I mean, for the whole season, we did it. Um, didn't really have that much success. We were unbelievable in seventh and eighth grade of volleyball. And then uh, guys like Clovis West, Clovis High, they were just so much better than us. They had super, super tall guys on the team, and we weren't that tall. And um, they were they were ten footing us all day long, which is you know you're spiking it down on top uh, easily, and that's what they call it. And so anyway, it was just a lot of fun, and it kept me uh, motivated to keep getting better in every aspect of of sports in general. And uh, I definitely enjoyed it. It was fun. Did you keep playing any sports once you you know like went to college? Did you ever play pickup hoops or pickup volleyball or anything? I mean, I imagine since then you've essentially been like a pro golfer does all of that kind of go away or do you still use your athleticism in any other ways yeah in, in any other ways i mean even from playing ping pong you know i used to play ping pong in high school all the time uh at lunch lunch break i just go into the art room mr uh Giannone's art room um oh no gualinoni excuse me gualinoni mr gualinoni's uh, art room and this is in seven he's, he's so nice to let us go in there we just play ping pong on his art tables put a little net up there and we played on this and stay with it. We, I, we got really good. Marcus Hernandez was my best friend um, in high school and we just play for hours. Uh, um, you know, each, each day we'd even sometimes go after class and play a little bit um, before volleyball started or something. But it was just times where that athleticism, I felt like kept me going the right way. And then even today, you know, you look at today and what I do, I still play ping pong. I shoot some hoops. Um, I've played volleyball at uh, one of my buddy's houses over here. Yeah, there's been multiple times where I've used that and uh, still enjoy it today. Yeah. So you mentioned already you were going against the grain a little bit, thinking outside the box, and that rubbed people the wrong way. So were you were you friends with a bunch of other junior golfers, or were you you know you were out to win? Did you mostly do your own thing? Yeah, I mostly did my own thing. I mean, my dad was even against me doing the one length irons, and he'll he'll say that even today. It was like, yeah, I never didn't really believe it, but he's done pretty well so far. So, uh, no, th- there came a point in time where uh, I think it was, I think it was when I won my first college event. He was like, okay, uh, you know, this this is it's good. It works pretty well. I mean, even when I won. The California State Junior, he was okay with it, but he was like, man, I just don't know if this is going to work on tour or anything like that. Um, but once I went to my first college, then he definitely settled in, and um, <laughs> he's now in it for the long haul, I guess. Yeah, I mean, do you feel like that's 
changed on tour? I mean, you still think a different way. You generally do your own thing. I mean, you play practice rounds with other guys, obviously, but does it still feel like, you know, you're going to do your own thing? Yeah, I'll do my own thing, but, you know, I, I think people respect it a little bit more than when I came out here first. They thought it was just these antics, um, these crazy little antics that uh, I was doing. But now I think people realize it's just me trying to figure out a way to, to find an advantage over others. And whether it does or not, it's up for debate. I definitely feel like I'm comfortable with it, and it gives me an advantage on my own end. And when uh, the going gets tough, I'm able to rely on it, and it works really well. All right, so let's fast forward um, to your most recent transformation. Um, you've talked, you know, endlessly about this, but I think if we just frame it up big picture, it, it's it's obviously fascinating. Um, do you feel like this was your biggest change yet? The change you started to to really bulk up and add major speed was that the biggest change, biggest diversion from the norm? Do you think? Or had you already broken ground that was, you know, this different? It was definitely the biggest diversion from the norm. Everybody said, you know, you're going to get hurt doing this. You're going to feel worse. You're going to swing it slower. Um, your game's going to go down the, the drain. Your putting's going to be terrible. Your wedging's going to be terrible. Um, you know, and clearly that's not the case. Yeah, I've had tough times with wedgings, uh, with, with wedging the golf ball a few times, but that was more of a golf swing issue. And we were able to, Chris and I were able to figure that out uh, this past week and perform really well. We actually figured it out a week before. It's just we couldn't put it in play until obviously the U.S. Open. And, uh, you know, this is definitely my biggest diversion. And I, I think that people, I hope, will be inspired by it, not, not to be scared of failure. I mean, that's, that's my whole message through this whole thing is that I want to inspire others to try and be better each and every day um, with whatever it is in life. It doesn't have to be golf. It doesn't have to be sports. It doesn't, you know, it could be anything, just eating healthier or going and working out or you're sitting your nine to five job, right? You go work out for 30, 40 minutes after, after just feel healthier and, and you can reap the benefits. You'll feel amazing when you work out in the right way. Um, you know, and that's my inspiration. I, I hope for a bunch of people out there, not that I'm going against the grain necessarily, but I'm showing that there's a bunch of different ways to do things. And you know, if you work hard enough, you can figure some amazing things out. Yeah. I mean, that's the funny thing that we've been giving, uh, Luke Curdney and my coworker a hard time, you know, Luke well, and you guys sort of started on your transformations about the similar time. And, uh, you gained 40 pounds. He lost 40 pounds. So I think you're, you're each feeling better, but in your own uh, individual way. But I'm wondering, did, were you scared of failure? Like, this is a big leap to make. You were already a really good golfer. You were not only like a tour pro, you were a really good one. You were essentially a top 10 player in the world. I don't know where you technically were when you made this start. But, I mean, were you afraid this was going to be a flop? Every day. Every day. I mean... Whenever you go against your, whenever you're trying to accomplish something that nobody's done before, you don't know if you're going to succeed. You don't know if you are going to hurt yourself, um, hurt hurt everything that you're that you're about. But what I do know is that there was a lot of planning that went involved uh, that was involved in this, and we had to make sure that every single day I was progressing in the right way. If there was a day where I started to go backwards, I was going to stop, totally stop, and go okay. Let's reevaluate what's going on. And luckily, every single day, it just got subtly better and better 
and better. And there were times where I took a little step back with my golf swing, but from a health perspective, from a body-wise perspective, I just felt like I was getting stronger and stronger and that nothing was hindering me. Um, but again, that's through working out in the right way. I mean, you could, I don't do squats. I don't do deadlifts. I don't do any of that. It's very isolated movements uh, through some very specific protocols with Greg Roscoff, MAT. Um, you got to see an MAT guy. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable what you can do when you have the proper input to the neurological system. It just, it flourishes. I always give this analogy. This is one of the best analogies I've ever heard. Have an environment. Let's just say an environment. This is just theoretical now. You have an environment. You provide the right stimulus to that environment. All of a sudden, you find life. You start, it starts growing. Things start growing. You give it the wrong stimulus in that environment. All of a sudden, nothing happens. And sometimes you can damage yourself. You can make that environment worse for you. Um, so that's what I tried to do. I tried to provide the right stimulus, the right input into my system to help make my body grow and feel like I was getting stronger and stronger, just like I was when I was, you know, 15, 16. Yeah, I just killed a house plant so I can relate to kind of the stimulus <laughs> and when you put the, the wrong thing in. But <laughs> uh, I was away at Wingfoot. I couldn't take proper care of it, but... Uh, how much do you listen when people say, you know, what is this guy doing? I mean, I know you'll, you'll go on Instagram, you'll respond to people that are, some are fans, some are doubters, critics, whatever trolls, whatever you would say. How much does that affect your decision-making if at all? It doesn't affect the decision-making, but I just want people to realize that I'm trying to do good for the game. I'm trying to show that there's more than just the old stigma of you know hitting a golf ball around and, and making putts and I want it to be fun exciting different cool uh and have it be easier for people to play the game I don't want to make this game more difficult than it is I want to try and understand it to its deepest core so that I can eventually give some secrets out that will make everybody else's game better that will help invigorate people to keep playing golf to keep them excited to keep them going man i want to go out there and try it right now that looks so, like so much fun i think i can do that now that's my goal yeah. um and so whenever people are saying things I, I i'm sad i'm really sad because i want people to know that i'm trying to do my best for the game of golf and you know there's going to be people that are saying i'm doing the worst thing for the game and i understand that but they just come from a different perspective and, and i respect that i have no issue with that um my goal is again to just keep trying to tell people this is an opportunity in this day and age with the technology that we have, this is an opportunity to make this game a lot more fun, a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting because I always wonder, like, that's a flood of comments that you get. You know, I'm, I write about golf. Occasionally I'll get like something where a, a lot of feedback comes in and it, sometimes it's hard. It's hard to like read through that stuff. A lot of it's negative or if it's a controversial thing. So I would imagine that as a golfer, it's the same thing. When you get that much feedback, you have to figure out how to filter through it or like to completely ignore it or say, oh, you know, these people have a point. But it's also about, I personally think this is an opportunity for somebody like myself to learn from somebody else's perspective, see their perspective and go, okay, I see why you're saying that. Let me try and help. Let me try and help see that viewpoint a little bit better, make some changes in my own life that will give you a better perspective of what I'm trying to do. And, and so it's yeah. an opportunity for me to grow as well. When I see these comments, I'm going, okay, why are they saying this? 
how can I make that change so that they can appreciate what I'm doing, not hate what I'm doing? Can you think of any specific examples where you remember getting, you know, feedback on something and you're like, oh man, I wish that came off different or something like that? Yeah. I mean, whenever I make these, you know, frustrated comments like, gosh, dang it, or come on, Tim, or something like that, right? It's never about it, that it's Tim's fault. It's never about that it's, I'm blaming somebody else. It's the frustration of, man, I put so much effort into this and I didn't get the result I want. Gosh, dang it. That's really what it's, what it is. But to other people, it looks like I'm whining and it looks like it's, you know, oh, he's just, he's a crybaby, all this stuff. And, and, and when I heard that, when I saw that I was, and this was before the PGA, that's when things started to kind of change for me, my attitude. I, I said, you know what, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to make people realize that I do care about the game, but there's more to it than just reacting in that fashion. Um, so I have made some changes and I really appreciate the fans, the people are, are, are doing that because it helps refine me as a human being too. This episode of the drop zone is brought to you by Cobra Puma golf. It's funny. I've been getting a bunch of texts from friends that play golf, inquiring about single length irons after watching Bryson win. Folks are very curious about how Bryson is doing the things that he's doing. Obviously, his speed zone one-length irons are part of that, and the detail is right there in the name, one-length irons. We've tried them out in our office. Uh, you know, I think I hit one of the longest five irons of my life, and then definitely one of the longest nine irons of my life. Our senior writer, Alan Shipnick, swears by them, swears by this one-length iron concept, and it's pretty obvious that no brand is creating those irons like Cobra. They offer them in sets for better players, people that are just learning the game, juniors. So to get a set of your own, just like Bryson, head to cobragolf.com today. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about equipment changes because that was a big piece of this too. It's always been a big piece of this. Um, coming out of, well, coming out of quarantine, say, is, is a good time to kind of pinpoint when you really started getting to the top of your game, what kind of stuff were you doing with your equipment? We know you're always up to something. Coming out of quarantine, uh, surprisingly, I didn't do too much. We changed the face a little bit. Uh, we had less, we, we put less loft on the driver and then we, we smoothed out the face just a little bit so that I could get a different friction value off the face so I could get less spin. Uh, I was spinning it too much. 190, 195 ball speed. I was uh, definitely spinning it way too much. And, and we had to change that in order to get back down to 2000. So we did that. We made those changes. And I was obviously working on the golf swing. Um, you know, and I hit it really well. I hit it really, really well for a few weeks. And I struggled a little bit and, and got it back. And then went and uh, won Rocket Mortgage. Uh, struggled again a little bit. And then, you know, went and won the U.S. Open. <laughs> But there's there's obviously a lot more to it. Yeah, when you're making these tweaks, are you in constant communication with folks at Cobra, and are you like, hey, I want this change, I want to try this, give me some, you know, give me a weird driver loft, give me something else to try, etc. We talk about different variables and how they affect the driver. I've had a lot of experience recently um, about how drivers perform, how golf balls perform, how the interaction works and it's been eye-opening to see through this whole journey, you know, what works and what doesn't work. And it's awesome to be able to work with Cobra Puma and, and have um, T.O. or Tim Benno or uh, Yags or Showman or Posey, 
but just talking about different aspects and variables of the driver and how to potentially tweak it so that I could get the desired result that I want. I'll, I'll come to them with a problem be like, look, this is the problem. How can we potentially fix this? What are some variables? I'm obviously going to have some thoughts on it. They're going to have some thoughts on it. And we'll work together. Uh, being a part of the R&D team that, that I am, it, we'll work together to figure out a solution, uh, just like we are right now with something special coming down the works. So, all right, tell me how you're feeling then coming out of quarantine, because maybe you didn't make that many big equipment changes, but you came out, you were looking big, you were looking strong, and you initially were thinking, oh, these first courses like Colonial might not set up that well. And then you contended like several weeks in a row. Did you surprise yourself during that stretch with how well you were playing or what were you expecting? Completely surprised. I had no thought that I would contend at all. And it was just one of those weeks where I was wedging it pretty well, good enough, and I putted it really well. By the way, I didn't practice putting one bit during quarantine. Not once. Literally. No putting. We, we have a, a system that I've built so far that's just been amazing. It's so repeatable, so consistent. Uh, I give it a little bit of stimulus, a little bit of input, and I'm right back to square one. Um, it was it was amazing. I just hit a couple putts. I'm like, oh, this, is, this feels the exact same. Nothing changed. Should we not be practicing putting so much? What's the lesson here? Oh, no, that, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying that we built a system where I don't have to practice as much as, as most people. I'm very, very lucky that um, you know I have this thing that measures speed off of the, the face. So I can control my speed speed really really well just by you know feeling a certain thing right i still feel things okay everybody thinks you know i'm super technical and everything which i am but i still feel things this is the perfect opportunity though for uh for luke to come in and luke what what instruction questions do you have on this point yeah no i i have a few but first like bryson i have to ask you said after quarantine you weren't gonna you, you weren't expecting to play well were you really not expect expecting to play well come on you, you you're not finally tuned I mean, at that point I, I knew i was gonna hit it far i knew it was gonna be a fireworks show out there but i didn't know that i was gonna actually be uh right there next to the lead having a chance to win the tournament a putt to, to tie for the lead and um potentially win the tournament uh it's one of those things that i didn't know where it was gonna go potentially i thought it was gonna go somewhat straight but again you have to wedge it well you have to putt it well that's one of those things that I had no idea about. And uh, I was lucky enough to hit enough fairways and make enough putts to, to give myself a chance. And then at RBC Heritage, I thought I'd – I love the golf course, but I did not think that I would play that well. I was fortunate enough, though, to, uh, again, give myself somewhat of a chance, although Webb just putted his way to victory. He made literally everything that way. He was crazy. And why didn't you think you were going to play well? Were you just like, wow, out, out of bounds, trees? Like, what was it? hundred percent. Yeah, I think I'm going to hit a few out of bounds and, you know, not fully control it, get a little uncomfortable, get a little tight, and then it just kind of goes downhill from there. But it didn't happen. It really didn't happen. Yeah, I didn't think you would play well there, no offense, but just for that exact same reason. It just seemed like it's not a, it's not a great fit. But I, I think that went a long way towards proving to people this isn't really like a – model that only works on bombers courses right yeah and honestly bryson like that's something that has made me realize that at first you know you think about distance in terms of oh well you know it's great on some courses it's bad on others but just like the past few weeks sort of made you realize like it actually is kind of an advantage through the bag on every course you of course have to manage it 
but it really is not one of these things where like just because you hit it far therefore uh, you know yeah. x insert x course or x conclusion it's really about no 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 if you hit if you have distance and you can yeah. control it it's an advantage everywhere and i think yeah. that that in a nutshell is why some people are looking at your victory at the u.s open you're playing well at harbour town and they're like oh well geez i need to rethink this correct correct i mean you know if you're able to somewhat it straight and control it and have good understanding of what's going on through impact at those speeds, there's, there's no stopping you. Um, I will say it's fun hitting a seven iron 205 to 210 yards. It makes it a lot easier. So on these holes, people are in six or five irons, I'm in seven iron. And it just feels like I have this competitive advantage and they just feel like they're behind. They're like, man, I'm in six iron, five iron. Why is he in seven iron? You know, and, and there's just this like little mental game that it gets sometimes into people's heads. Um, I know it definitely happened in Detroit when I was hitting it really, really far. Um, there was a few people that were just like, what the heck? How is this even possible? Um, you know, and it definitely got into some people's heads, I think. You know, and, and I'm not going to stop. I feel like there's no need to stop if I can keep hitting it farther and control the trajectory and, and the spin and the lines and have a driver that the, the face, you know, at 350, 360 yards can work when you hit it off the toe and the heel a little bit, still goes in the fairway. I mean, that's, that's scary, guys. That's really scary. All right, so the, the last critique that people could say at this point was, yeah, well, he can't do it in a major championship. And then the PGA came. You contended to win the PGA. And then you get to Wingfoot. And when you set foot on property at Wingfoot, did you think this sets up pretty well for me? Yeah, Chris all week, the, the week before. And then even when, when we got there, he was like, Bryson, you know, you got a chance. You know that this, this place, even though it's going to be long rough and everything, you hit it somewhat decent, you're going to give yourself a chance to win this tournament. He said that every day. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you never know, right? He's like, Bryson, your length, it doesn't matter. I've, I've seen the golf course. I've heard from many people the golf courses, fairways are super tight throughout the whole way. They're the same width throughout the whole way. And in that case, distance is going to win. It's just going to win. Whoever wins this week, it's going to be length. And I was like, okay. And so I got, got there and I saw golf course. And for some reason, I just felt like I could hit anywhere. And out of the rough, I could still run it up front of the greens and so I really was never scared of the rough um especially with my clubs being super upright I felt like I could get in there really easily and have no problem getting it out whereas most people were struggling so you think you think hitting it you know super far up there having a pitching wedge or nine iron compared to somebody hitting it in the rough uh you know like 300 yards let's say or, or even 280 they're in six iron five iron under there it's impossible whereas I was hitting nine iron pitching wedge just a tremendous advantage uh, especially when the greens get super firm, it's not about spin rate. It's about landing angle. You know, if I drop the ball straight up and down, yeah, it's going to bounce really high and bounce a lot, but it's not going to move. You know, if I, if, if, if you have a lot of, you know, we only have a certain amount of spin you can produce, you know, let's say a nine iron, 9,000 RPMs with a net landing angle like this, it's just going to bounce and keep going. So it really is about landing angle height on firm greens at a U.S. Open. And that's what I was able to do to those greens. I love it. And early in the week, you played a practice round with Tiger Woods and I talked to Tiger's guy, Rob, and was like, Rob, how does he look? And uh, Rob was like, honestly, he's crushing it, but he's kind of hitting it everywhere. 
So I think at that point in the week, like maybe you were hitting it all over the place or maybe it doesn't matter because those are practice rounds and that's what you use those for. Um, tell me how you're feeling early in the week and if anything made you more or less confident. I wasn't hitting at my absolute best going into the week, that's for sure. But as time went on, again, I knew that if I hit it anywhere, I could still get it to the front of the greens. I would still contend. Um, yeah. I still think, though, that we – I did figure something out. We, Chris and I figured something out and it was, I was hitting it too far off the heel uh, for the drive that I was using. And so once I started hitting it more off the toe, I saw ball flights that were way more consistent. Uh, they started flying with a nice little draw on them. They weren't overdrawing. It was just very, very nice. And so I gained some confidence off that. I went from hitting it kind of all over the place to hitting it really straight, really quickly. And that's kind of what I'm always looking for when I go into the range. I want, I, I know what, great golf is i've seen it. i've experienced it i've at times felt like i've been the best driver in the world at times felt like i've been the best iron player in the world and i know what that feels like and so i'm always working to try and get back to that point uh, if i can and uh that's what i was able to do i, I felt like once i started getting off the toe and i we made a couple adjustments um i was i was right there I was like man my ball striking is solid i feel like i can contend now especially with all this speed uh, but yes, I wasn't hitting my best, but again, that's why I work on the range afterwards and try and figure stuff out. You know, if I wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have figured it out and I probably wouldn't have won. And that's why I think it's yeah. so cool. And I hope it's so inspirational to a lot of people to say, Hey, look, don't give up. Keep trying to figure stuff out. We see you at the range at tournaments, um, grinding, like sometimes late into the night, uh, before and after your rounds. How does that compare to what you do at home? Does it look similar or different? And do you play a lot of golf when you're at home or mostly you're on the range or, or in the studio? 99.9% of the time I'm on the range trying to figure something out, just like I would be at a tour event hitting golf balls, trying to figure something out. Um, I will say that when I'm here, I am speed training a little bit right now, trying to get my speed up. Uh, I told you guys something at the U.S. Open that I'd be trying something, so we're, we're working <laughs> on some interesting stuff. Uh, but it's, it's very similar, I would say. Uh, I don't spend as much time, I would say, out here just because I'm really trying to gain size, gain strength, work out as much as possible, and then go test it for speed. And then when the week starts to get closer, when I'm trying to, to, to play a tournament, I'll start to hone things in. You know, I'll hit wedges for a long time. I'll hit irons for a long time. And I'll hit drivers for a little while, but I won't, I won't hit it as much. That's interesting. All right, I think... Instruction editor Luke is tapping in for another question here. What do you got, Luke? So I'm like the worst producer in the world. I just keep getting curious. But but so, but but I but I am curious. Like so, you say you're uh, you're practicing all the time. So like forget tournament weeks, right? Like yeah. uh, pr practice rounds. How many rounds are you playing like a week during a non-tournament week, or how many rounds are you playing a year, excluding tournaments? Zero. Like, like <laughs> yeah. zero. Like actually zero. I don't like, play any rounds. No. Mm -hmm. That's kind I of play, amazing. Maybe if I, I, you know, fortunate enough to get onto Cypress Point or some somewhere, you know, Pine Valley or Augusta, something like that, I will play. But it is very, very rare that you'll ever see me on the golf course. And I'll usually go out on the golf course if I do from one or two holes to try and test something into a certain wind. I'm really working on something or trying to figure out something. Do you That's like, it. I don't do you like playing? Uh, the only times I like playing is when the sun is setting and I go play like five holes and I'm just enjoying enjoying the time, not thinking about the golf swing, just hitting as hard as I can and wedging it close and you know, going up there and tapping a putt and not, not really focused on anything. 
No, nope. my job. Not thinking about the golf swing. This is mad. Huh? Not thinking about the golf swing. That's mad. Yeah. Hey, when I'm trying to enjoy golf, I don't, I don't, I don't play golf. I enjoy golf when I'm uh, really doing that. But for my job. I got to play golf and I got to play good. So I better be prepared trying to figure stuff out. It's fascinating because, you know, you hear about the legends of golf history playing, you know, four ball matches at home or, or guys in Jupiter. There's a whole crew of people that play a bunch of money games all the time. And, you know, or San Diego or Scottsdale, there's these little groups of pros. And that's a lot of the way they practice is out on the course playing against each other. But you don't necessarily see a, a big advantage in that compared to practicing. Now, I feel like if you spend four hours on the golf course, you know, that that's four hours that you could have been spending trying to figure something out in your golf swing that could make you more consistent. So that when you do play tournament golf, when the time comes and it's absolutely important to play great golf, you're ready for it. You know, and that's that's my whole goal. If I go play golf, I'm hitting what, you know, hopefully maybe 65 shots and it's been a span of four hours where in four hours on the range, I could be hitting 200, 300 golf balls. Uh, so much more input and I can figure so much more out. Um, and on the range, if you get a two side range, you can go try pretty much any wind. So if you really want to work on something, you can go do it on the range. Do you need, I mean, I guess you play so much competitive golf. It's not really like you need competitive reps, but do you ever feel like you have to practice being under the gun or anything like that at home, you know, pressure pots or, or something like that that you would get from say a, a money match? Yeah, I do it all the time. I, I say, this is, this ball has to go here. I'll wait 10 minutes. I'll go, okay. I'm completely cold. I don't, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not warmed up anymore. And I have to hit this shot just like this. And I'll test myself to see if I'm repeatable. I won't do it once, but I'll do it five times in a row. If I can do it five times in a row, waiting, you know, three-minute intervals, it's just like the golf course. I feel like I'm pretty good. Interesting. So you, you simulate that experience. Yeah, 100%. I'm still simulating. It's just I don't go waste my time out on the golf course and wait for other players. And it's just, it just seems like it's not efficient. It's just not as efficient. The other thing, during quarantine, I didn't play one round of full, one full round of golf. The only round of golf that I tried to play, and I was done after literally eight holes. Um, yeah, it was eight holes was uh, Colonial. I went out and played Colonial just to see, like, okay, I haven't been on a golf course in a while. Let's see if – and by the third hole, I was like, this is a waste of time. I'm done. <laughs> I wanted to go after three holes because I hit a shot close from my seven iron to, like, three feet. I'm like, okay, I don't need to see anymore. I'm done. <laughs> I really didn't play golf before uh, the Colonial. Sorry, Colonial. That's wild. So, all right, so when you're playing golf on the PGA Tour, I mean, obviously it's your job. It's high stakes. Are you enjoying playing golf at that point? Because, you know, that's the end game. That's the whole point. I love the competition. I love being in the moment and executing a shot. That's all I care about. Whatever it adds up to is great. If I can do that over the course of the round, that's what excites me. That's what makes me feel good. It's when I can keep executing the same shot over and over again. When I hit one bad, I'm like, oh, my gosh, okay. How do I figure this out? How did that happen? Why did that happen? Start going through this whole process of trying to analyze how to make that not happen for the next one. Because golf is really just an accumulation of shots of who, who's the most repeatable golfer out there. That's really all, all golf is. If you can keep repeating the same shot over and over again, that person's most likely going to win. Okay, folks, that's going to do it for part one of our sit down with Bryson DeChambeau. Thanks so much to Bryson for joining us after uh, what we know is a whirlwind week. Thanks to my co-host, Sean Zock, who was actually on the ones and twos producing this week. Thanks to you guys for listening. 
And uh, thanks so much to our friends at Cobra Puma Golf, who sponsored this episode of The Drop Zone. I can confidently say they make some of the most comfortable golf shoes out there. And we at The Drop Zone have been big, big Puma golf shoe fans for years. And the Ignite Power Adapt caged shoes are as good as they come. They're the kind of golf shoes you can wear all day long, hanging with friends, heading to the golf course, stopping at dinner afterwards. I mean, we, uh, we even wear them to the office. So check them out. Get your own pair at pumagolf.com. And then check back tomorrow to hear part two with Bryson. I promise. It's just getting good. See you tomorrow.